Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, get ready. I know it's been a long week, and thanks so much for being with us every step of the way. It's Brian Kilmeade, the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming your way. Alan Dershowitz is going to join us right up top. Uh, not only is he a brilliant uh, legal mind, he's a great communicator, and I want to break down what we see emerging with the thousands of documents coming out about those 53-plus interviews for over the course of two years in the Russia probe uh, in front of the House Oversight Committee. And then Ian Bremmer, deep thinker, uh, president and founder of the Eurasia Group, uh, real sense of what's happening around the globe, especially as it relates to this pandemic. Uh, and, of course, we want your calls, one 408 7669 We just got the unemployment numbers. They're not quite as bad as we thought, but they're terrible. Uh, unemployment's now at 14.7%. We lost about 20 million jobs. Uh, so this is uh, getting ugly, and we got to get back to work. At the same time, respecting the virus, especially when we find out a president had a valet uh, who handles his food test positive. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They want to get back to work. These people want to get back to work. We know they've everybody's done what they have done. And you can only do that so long. And that causes death also. If you look at all of the... Yeah, uh, reopening America, the hurdles and the crackdowns and the need for careful but deliberate speed while realizing the danger uh, brought home to the White House because we had a military aid test positive. Number two. Really, most people know it from the beginning and they know it was just a total hoax. It was a made up story. These are dirty politicians and, and dirty cops and and hopefully they're going to pay a big price someday in the not-too-distant future. All right, there you go. Donald Trump moments ago on Fox and Friends. There is no there there. The Russia probe, transcripts emerge, and there's more to come. While there seemed to show even the president's greatest critics could not find a link to Russia, I'll bring you some of the quotes from the transcript, and we'll bring you the details. Number one. Uh, we've dismissed or are moving to dismiss the charges against uh, General Flynn. A crime cannot be established here. They did not have a basis for a counterintelligence investigation against Flynn at that stage. Uh, there you go. Uh, Bill Barr, Michael Flynn and the path to justice. With a stunning yet justified move, the DOJ drops the prosecution of this case. The outrage on the left, the hope on the right. And let's just hope the country gets better from here, because we are at each other's throats. Joining us now is Alan Dershowitz. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, always great to uh, have you on the show. Your book, Guilt by Associ- uh, by Accusation, The Challenge of Proving Innocence in the Age of Hashtag Me Too, is out and available. But first things first, did William Barr do the right thing? Well, thank you. First of all, my book is now available free on Kindle because I want to encourage people to read while they're staying home. So you just press a button, you get it free. Barr did exactly the right thing. Probably did it a little too late. 
There was never a crime here. In December of 2018, I wrote an op-ed piece saying there was no crime. Why? Because what he said, what Flynn said, was not material to the investigation for two reasons. Number one, the FBI already knew what the truth was. They had him on tape. They had recorded him talking to the uh, ambassador. And then they asked him, did you talk to the ambassador? They weren't looking for information. They were looking to spring a perjury trap. And what was the nature of the investigation? They were investigating the Logan Act. You know what the Logan Act is? It was passed in the 19th, 18th century, and it said private citizens can't negotiate with other governments. You know how many of our people have negotiated with other governments from uh, – Jimmy Carter, when he told uh, Yasser Arafat not to accept the Clinton peace deal, to Jesse Jackson, to uh, Rodman, the basketball player. Nobody has been prosecuted under the Logan Act since 1803, and that prosecution failed. There's never been a successful prosecution. So the entire enterprise was flawed. I called for the Justice Department to do this a year and a half ago, and they did absolutely the right thing. Every civil libertarian should be rejoicing. This is not a right-left issue. It's become a right-left issue. But every civil libertarian, right or left, should say, finally, somebody is holding the government to what its proper role is, which is to get evidence of past crimes, not to create future crimes. So you make sense of this. I'm just a civilian. Uh, Jeff Jensen, a U.S. attorney, was asked to review the test by the attorney, to review the whole Flynn case by the DOJ. He said, through the course of my review of General Flynn's case, I concluded the proper and just course was to dismiss the case. I briefed Attorney General on my findings, advising him of these conclusions, and he agreed. He went on to say, it's not a matter whether you lied, it's whether they had a reason to question it to begin with. And the question is, too, the analogy I was given by Trey Gowdy was... I tell my priest after every uh, Sunday, how is the sermon? I tell him it's great, even if it's not. It does no damage. And so if, you, if they say to you, if they say to you, uh, well, did you talk about sanctions? And you say, I don't think so. That's not a reason to put the guy uh, in jail for five years. There's no question about that. For example, if they're investigating terrorism and they ask you whether you had an affair and you want to protect your wife or your husband, and you lie the way Bill Clinton um, did. That's not material to a terrorist investigation. But, you know, they're entitled to investigate terrorism. They weren't even entitled to investigate the Logan Act. That was a pretext. Nobody takes the Logan Act seriously. Uh, every day we see individuals going to foreign countries trying to influence foreign policy to the advantage of their own political party. Uh, John Kerry has done it. Ronald Reagan did it when he and his team negotiated with the Iranians to make sure that the hostages were released on the day of his inauguration rather than earlier. Nobody takes the Logan Act seriously. It doesn't exist in law. There's a concept called desuetude, which means when a law hasn't been enforced for hundreds of years, you can't suddenly resurrect it as if it's Easter Sunday and you're resurrecting a new law, an old law that hasn't been used for years. So it's the whole thing was a sham. And the disappointing thing is that civil libertarians, I call them fair-weather civil libertarians, who generally would oppose government excesses, support it when they're directed against Donald Trump and his associates. It's a total... So I want you to... I'm a liberal Democrat. I I want you to... I know you are. But I'm a civil libertarian. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I want you to hear what Bill Barr said uh, about the problems with the protocol as well. Cut 10. 
They didn't sure. warn him the way we usually would be required by the department. They bypassed the de- Justice Department. They bypassed the protocols at the White House and so forth. These were things that persuaded me this, that there was not a legitimate uh, counterintelligence investigation going on. 100 percent. And right. on the line. Yeah. And and I guess Sally Yates was a little upset to find out that the president knew before she did. And I'll just paraphrase one of the conversations when Comey told her, they said, why did you, why'd you do this without telling me? Her, uh, his retort was, I wanted to keep politics out of that. Is that a apt response from the FBI director to the deputy of attorney general? <laughs> especially since this is an FBI director who did everything based on politics. He made his decisions about Hillary Clinton based on politics. He made other decisions based on politics. He's right that uh, the FBI and the attorney general's office shouldn't be based on politics. And I think what Barr did was 100% right. All of my radical lefty friends disagree with me on this, but I'm sticking with my guns. I said it was right back in 2018, and it was right doing it yesterday. So am I to uh, am I wrong to worry that this flamboyant judge that you called him basically a, uh, called his actions treasonous a few months ago and sent him back uh, and he thought he was going to get, you know, obviously probation or something. He sent him back. Uh, he called his conduct treasonous. Now he's got another shot. Could he gum up the works? I don't think so. Look, this Constitution says that federal courts have jurisdiction only in cases and controversies. And when you get the government and the defendant agreeing on a disposition, namely dismissal, there is no case or controversy. The judge would be usurping the power of the prosecution of the executive. He'd be violating separation of powers if he didn't simply dismiss this indictment and dismiss the case completely. He may do it because he's a judge who is very, very opinionated. He was dead wrong in his 90-page opinion. I criticized it when he wrote it. And, you know, I think it was Justice Jackson who once said, we're not, infa- we're not final because we're infallible. We're only infallible because we're final. I mean, judges are wrong. This judge got it wrong. He should admit he got it wrong. And he should say, there's no controversy here. Both sides want it dismissed. I have no role to pay. I'm not an umpire. You know, it, it's like... If a guy, a, a manager, calls for his pitcher to intentionally walk the batter, and the guy, in the old days, you'd throw a pitch on the outside, and the umpire would say, no, 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 that's a strike. I'm not going to let you walk him. That's a strike. If both sides agree you're going to walk the guy, you walk the guy. This time they agree to walk him in the figurative sense, walk him out of prison. The judge has absolutely no constitutionally proper role to play except to do what both sides want him to do. Judges are not activists. They are passive deciders of cases that come before them. I thought so. Um, and sometimes I feel differently. Uh, let's look at what the emerged. 53 interviews emerged from, from the Oversight Committee run by Adam Schiff. At what's time, from Clapper to Sally Yates to McCabe, uh, as you see the complete transcript, I guess unredacted, you see that they, nobody said they found any direct evidence, any evidence that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia to infiltrate the election. Does it bother oh, yeah. you that, with, that we couldn't have ended this sooner? 
it should have ended as soon as they came to that even preliminary decision. You need to have a basis for going forward. And then all the people who are going to jail, who have been convicted, even those who pleaded guilty, for crimes created by the Mueller investigation should be freed as well. There should have been no further investigation once the decision was made. Look, the same thing, I said the same thing uh, with Whitewater. When the investigators of Clinton decided there was nothing to Whitewater, they shouldn't have continued the investigation and gotten to, you know, the sex stuff. Investigations are supposed to be limited to the mandate given to the special prosecutor. Special prosecutors have gone overboard. The author should be abolished. It should never, ever be allowed to resurrect its ugly head again in American jurisprudence. It has no basis in American jurisprudence. Maybe an extraordinary, extraordinary case as you could imagine a situation. But it's been so abused and so overused on all sides. I'm just going to ask your opinion on this one. Uh, I read extensively about, uh, I read, of, I, I got to know Michael Flynn a little bit for a year and a half. Then read his book, obviously, reread it. Then saw this long feature in Politico about what kind of soldier he was and what kind of officer he was. And then saw about his stay for two years with President Obama. He told President Obama he was wrong about al-Qaeda. When he killed bin Laden, you did not hurt that organization. In fact, they grow and they fled and they've grown in other areas. He told them, the CENTCOM is giving you intelligence. In your daily brief, it's different from what CENTCOM is putting out. He also told them ISIS wasn't a JV team, that they're some, a force to be reckoned with, and he was against the Iranian deal. So he got fired. In your opinion, from what you know, and you do know everybody, do you believe that Obama was against Michael Flynn because of that, or was he against Michael Flynn because of him just hurting Donald Trump? Oh, no, I think he was against it because of his opposition to the Iran deal. Obama was against anybody. Um, he was against me, even though I voted for him and I knew him when he was a law student, because I wrote a book called The Case Against the Iran Deal. If you were against the Iran deal, you were against his signature foreign policy accomplishment, which is one of the worst foreign policy deals ever negotiated by any president. And, you know, then at the end of his administration, he to get revenge on Benjamin Netanyahu, he engineered a Security Council resolution saying that Israel's control over the holiest places in Judaism, the Western Wall, was a flagrant violation of international law. That ended my relationship with him. I no longer have a relationship with President Obama because of the way he handled that issue and the Iran deal and foreign policy in general. I think he was a good domestic policy president, but in terms of foreign policy, the worst in my lifetime. Alan Dershowitz, thanks so much. Your book is free. Uh, go get uh, your side of the story, the latest guilt by accusation. It could happen to anybody. Uh, the challenge of proving innocence in the age of hashtag me too. Thanks, Professor. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Great. Uh, we come back. Your turn. We have a lot to go over, man. And that Texas story about the, the hairdresser that goes to jail because she opened up her store. one 408 We'll talk about all this. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's no evidentiary basis for the collusion. It doesn't matter how many times Adam Schiff says other words. Otherwise, you got the transcript. Samantha Power, Susan Rice, Ben Rose. No one had any evidence of collusion except CNN, Politico, and Adam Schiff. Uh, Trey Gowdy says it like nobody else. Really wish that he was still a lawmaker, but it's great that he's a contributor. one 408 7669 What they're talking about is the 53 interviews released on Adam Schiff's committee on the behest of Rick Grinnell. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Grinnell after this. He's done a great job, but Radcliffe's going to get uh, ratified for that position next week. James is listening on the Fox News Radio app in Indiana. Hey, James. Hey, Brian. I think uh, General Flynn should be put in charge of the FBI when the frame job was unfolding. The FBI was taking in nearly a quarter million dollars in bribes to cook the books and let illegals in. The U.S. Attorney's Office out of Indiana was hiding and destroying evidence a couple years ago to put our citizens to death. Sydney Powell needs to be How put do you know all that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, well, you don't know any of that. I mean, $250,000 because of something at the border, you said? Oh, yeah. They were letting illegals in and uh, cooking the books. There was an article that just came out. You can not. Uh, Type it in, uh, ICE, FBI, cooking the books, uh, letting illegals in. All right. Uh, thanks for the call. Uh, just as, in terms of uh, no collusion, uh, James Clapper, former National Intelligence Director, I never saw any direct empirical evidence that the Trump campaign or someone was plotting, conspiring with the Russians to meddle in the election. Okay. Says something different on TV goes on. I do not think, though, that the president, now President Trump, would be easier to deal with. He believes that the reason why Putin liked Trump, perhaps. I do think, though, that they thought the president, President Trump, would be easier to deal with. He's a businessman. He'd be more willing to negotiate and make deals. I don't think it was anything more sophisticated than that sort of guide of the objectives. Now, if that is James Clapper, he doesn't keep his job at CNN. So in end, instead, uh, instead, you end up with James Clapper saying sensational things on CNN. In terms of Michael Flynn, You might think it's a layup. I knew it was wrong. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. But on the left, on other networks, they believe there was an injustice that Flynn is now about to be free. Cut 15. It's a stunning, stunning, but I guess any close watcher of William Barr couldn't describe it as shocking uh, move from this attorney general in the midst of a pandemic. If it wasn't clear enough when the Mueller report came out, this certainly confirms the president got the attorney general he wanted. It is, uh, I think, breathtaking dishonesty from the Justice Department. And as with the Roger Stone case, it is a sign that if you are a friend of the president, you will get different treatment from from Bill Barr. You will get better treatment from Bill Barr. Now we see Bill Barr really just doing Donald Trump's dirty work. Bill Barr has stepped in and taken this really unprecedented step. Isn't it amazing? They don't see a three-star general that defeated Al-Qaeda along with um, and took out Zarqawi along with General McChrystal. They think a guy got away with it because an attorney general liked the president. It's amazing this is the same country. Back with Ian Bremmer in just a second. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy, busy Friday. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We saw what they did to the journalists that they kicked out, American journalists they kicked out. Uh, we saw what they did to some of the doctors who early on uh, raised the flag and said, hey, we, we've got a problem. We, we saw that they just wandered off, not to be seen again. We've seen this kind of behavior, this, this kind of activity. It, it's what authoritarian regimes like the Chinese Communist Party do. Uh, they, they hide, they dissemble, they then propagate disinformation propaganda that we saw when they tried to pin it on the United States. So that was Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, just his latest attack on China. And it's not nothing he said is inaccurate. I'm tactically, I wonder where they're going. I just asked the President of the United States uh, 20 minutes ago, and he said, to be honest, I don't know which way I'm going with the China trade deal. Uh, the first phase is done. That'll affect the global economy, certainly, as people try to project where we're going. Uh, but there's no doubt about it. There's been an organized attack on China identifying their role in this, which is where it all started, and they still haven't let people in. A guy with a great handle on the global community like nobody else I've met is Ian Bremmer. He is president and founder of the Eurasia Group and G Zero Media, uh, and he joins us now. Ian, welcome back. Brian, my friend, good to talk to you, albeit long distance. I know, absolutely. So we have so much to talk about. First off, on this issue... Obviously, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is not having a few too many drinks and just shooting off from the hip. He's been tactically making himself available in all media outlets, from the Sunday shows to the Lou Dobbs show, making it clear who's responsible uh, for this virus. What's What's the game plan here? Yeah, they've escalated. You remember uh, about a month and a half ago when they were all about Wuhan virus, China virus, then Trump talked to Xi Jinping, they backed off of it. 
Now I would say this is by far the most intense they've been in focusing on China. And I think that there are a couple of pieces to it. The first is simply the reality that as this is much worse in the United States than we had hoped, both economically as well as the actual caseload and mortality, um, you're looking to see why it's happening and the original sin for this pandemic is borne by the Chinese. Um, they, this is, that's where it came from. They covered it up. Um, and that's why we have the explosive pandemic. So, I mean, any administration, I don't care if it's Trump, Obama, any administration would be unhappy with China and would be leveling some amount of blame at the Chinese regime. Um, but then secondly, you have the question of, do you want to really get into this more broadly? Do you want to, are you prepared to break the trade deal that will lead to more tariffs on consumer goods in the midst of a really, really bad recession. Do you want to do that? Do you want to go all in in a Cold War-type fight against China? And you heard it directly from Trump this morning, Brian. Um, He hasn't decided that he wants to do that because he knows that there are direct costs that are going to be borne by him if he does. And it's a risky play, and I think he probably keeps it in his pocket, and he doesn't do it unless either his popularity starts going down in a serious way, or if they find really hard intelligence that points the finger at at China um, doing things like uh, intentionally hoarding goods while they were medical supply, while they were closing this down, as opposed to being a mistake. So far, they really know that their belief, and whether you talk to Pompeo or Jared Kushner, they believe that this is just very badly mishandled, but a mistake by China. If they get hard intel that actually says that's not the case, or if Trump's approval rating starts slipping to the 30s or the 20s, I think either of those things would lead Trump to tilt towards saying, I'm all in. It's Cold War time with China. I think both of those are plausible. Japan made that statement where they're going to incentivize their businesses to pull manufacturing from China. And uh, we're in a position now, and you could recognize this faster than most, to maybe let uh, underline to the rest of the world who the good guys and bad guys are. So China inflicted this virus, allowed their people to travel, especially to Europe, which are like IEDs, if you understand this virus, now that we all understand the virus, and then come in and sold, sold faulty PPE in many cases and tests, and also are trying to sanitize communications that uh, from the European Union, for example, that was very critical of them and their behavior. It's clear we have an opportunity to underline to our enemies and allies who the good guys are. Are we yeah. taking advantage of that? No, of course not. And you know that, Brian. Uh, so first of all, I mean, China tried hard to show that they were the good guys. They were sending out some humanitarian aid. The actual amount was very limited. And as you say, some of it was faulty. That was clearly a big mistake by the Chinese. They didn't want it to be so. They fixed it, but it hurt them. So now you would say, okay, the Americans have a real opportunity. Are we going to step up and provide leadership? But when you talk about the amount of aid the Americans are providing, it's also pretty negligible in the context of what we've done historically. And, you know, part of that is that's not what the politics in the United States is interested in. Um, and not a lot of Americans are calling on doing more internationally. You don't get votes for that. Um, and, and, and also because um, we're focusing on bailing ourselves out, digging ourselves out of this massive hole. You saw the unemployment numbers this morning. I mean, this is unprecedented since the Great Depression. 
so, I mean, I think what's going to happen, Brian, is that in the poorest countries of the world, the ones that are already much more reliant on trade with China, on debt from China, I mean, 80% of Africa's, 80% of Africa's external debt is on China. The United States is basically not playing a role in sub-Saharan Africa anymore as a government. So, of course, countries like that, Southeast Asia, some of South America, and the poorest countries in, in Europe are going to be more aligned to China, not less, because they don't have a choice, not because they're happy about it, but because they don't see the United States offering that kind of economic support or credit. Where um, the wealthier countries, you said it yourself, Japan, $2 billion of Japan's stimulus is to get Japanese companies out of China. And even though we don't have great relations with the Europeans right now, and certainly, you know, Trump, Merkel, not exactly friendly with each other, same thing with Macron, but, but those countries, certainly, if they're forced to make a decision, it's going to be with rule of law. It's going to be with American tech companies. They're going to need us a lot more than they need the Chinese. So I think you're moving towards more fragmentation and away from globalization as the U.S.-China relationship becomes more, more uh, confrontational. Interesting. Uh, in that Africa thing, that, and it's been pointed out to me, that in Africa, for example, they have this thing called collateral. You do the Belt and Road program and say, as long as you make the payments, no problem. I'll build your roads and bridges. And when you don't make the payments, like when you're hit with a pandemic, uh, we'll just take your mines. So they'll take the copper mines. They'll take the gold. They'll literally take the gold mine. And that is not what America does. And people must realize that, that you don't need a business card or a textbook to understand that's not our reputation. Correct? Yes, that's true. Um, and there's no question that some of the conditionality that the Chinese have put on say, the Haman Boda port in Sri Lanka or some of the big infrastructure projects in Malaysia, Pakistan, have been incredibly tough-minded on these, on these governments that have, that have been receiving the cash. Having said that, a lot of the governments have complained about it. New politicians come in and they say, this is punitive. You know, you guys are acting like thugs. And in many cases, the Chinese government, not wanting to undermine their long-term relations with these countries, have actually moderated the terms of their debt. So in the same way that when the Chinese originally send out faulty tests, and then they see that this is really stupid, really ugly, we need better regulation, we've got to license the companies that are selling or giving this stuff so we don't get embarrassed, the same thing is true in Belt and Road, is that the Chinese make some big mistakes. They try to you know, squeeze too much juice out of the orange. They get whacked, and they back off a little bit. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of this is equivalent um, to the way that the United States or the Europeans provide debt. I mean, that's not the case. But I would say the Chinese are learning, and we need to recognize that our competitor, the Chinese, uh, they're becoming tougher to deal with. They're becoming a stronger and smarter adversary. It's not like they're just sitting on their thumbs. Absolutely. Now, I want to bring you to a couple of your columns. One, I've been following this, too, not as close as you, uh, Sweden. Sweden said, I'm not shutting down the country. I'm going to take the vulnerable. I'm going, to add, I'm going to protect them and feed them. And I want to keep the economy going and kind of the herd immunity concept, where if it does spread, we'll build up immunity with each other. And from what we knew about what they knew about the virus, and what we know about the virus, you're going to survive it unless you have underlying conditions or are uh, seniors. How's that going? It's been the biggest BS argument, Brian. I mean, first of all, you look at the IMF projections for the Scandinavian countries, and Sweden is expected to contract by 6.8% this year. 
that's slightly more than the other Scandinavian countries. So for this year, no economic benefit from uh, the measures they've taken. Second of all, um, they actually have their schools shut down. They actually shut down most domestic travel. You can't gather in groups of more than 50. So, I mean, they, they, it's not like they said, oh, life is usual. It's true that they've had more open um, regulations. And so some of the restaurants, the bars, people are still going. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the death tally that they've had has been dramatically higher than any other Scandinavian country. So what they're getting forward is not really clear. Final point is that the Swedish healthcare system is considerably more robust, and the Swedish people are much more healthy than in the United States with our obesity, the type 2 diabetes, the hypertension. So, I mean, if you were to try to implement a Swedish-type model in the United States, not only are the Swedes not getting what we're saying they're getting from it, but we'd have a, a much, much harder time trying to do that here. All right. So you say you also break down winners and losers in, in, in not a crass way, but to, to get through it right now, when this when we start beating this pandemic, when we come up with a vaccine, who's going to be standing the strongest? Yeah, I mean, no one's a winner in the sense that uh, we're, we're all worse off as countries after this than if it had never happened. But there are comparative winners and losers. First, you want to look at good governance and which are the countries who had leaders that have done the best job. Um, in in attacking the virus, quarantining, getting tests, contact tracing up early. There you've got South Korea, Germany, and a bunch of smaller wealthy states like Iceland, New Zealand, Australia. Um, Taiwan did a fantastic job. Singapore pretty well, even though they still have caseload. So some countries like that. Then, believe it or not, sub-Saharan Africa, um, which is going to do better than a lot of other emerging markets because the populations are so young. I mean, in Nigeria, average age is 17. This is going to go through the entire country. Everyone's going to get it. Very few people will be symptomatic. Very few people sick. Very few people will die. And since a lot of the economies in sub-Saharan Africa are agriculture, they're not as reliant on the global supply chain, and so they won't be hit as hard, which is nice news because the Africans usually get hit worse by every disaster that befalls everyone. Then you've got China and the United States. China, as you and I have already discussed, does better because their economy restarts while others are shut down, and the poorer countries in the world become more reliant on China than they were before. So they're a comparative winner. But frankly, the United States is a comparative winner. You have to recognize that this is, a, this is a crisis which is making the tech companies do far better than the non-digital brick-and-mortar companies. We dominate that sphere. The Europeans, the, China, the, the, the Canadians, the Japanese, they don't have those companies. We do. And our banks are also a lot stronger as we looked forward to a potential financial crisis coming from the developing world. European banks are a lot weaker. So coming out of this, the Europeans, of course, had worse economic trajectory before the crisis. They got a worse hit going through the crisis an existential question of does the Eurozone even make it between Germany and the indebtedness and lack of uh, potential growth in a place like Italy. The U.S. doesn't have that kind of problem. I mean, the governors may complain and point fingers, but ultimately we're one country. So I do think the U.S. ultimately looks more resilient as an economy than a lot of other places around the world. So if you were, if you were to have anything back, I hear the CDC having the wrong tests put us on our back and put us at deficit right away. But since yeah. it hit our shores, you say it hit Korea and us at the same time. Yeah. Can you compare the two? Because our countries, you know, the size of our countries are so different. And the fact yeah. is it hit us in the east and it hit us in the west. And now it looks like different strains. But can you compare the responses accurately or adequately? 
I think you should. The, the comparisons are really South Korea, Germany, and the United States. Three countries that got hit at about the same time. All big economies. Um, all. I mean, yeah. Of course, the U.S. is more diverse. Uh, we're also a little younger, so it should be easier for us to deal with than South Korea. Um, and of course, uh, we're not as dense uh, across the country, so it should be easier. I would say our economic response was on balance better. Than, uh, than, than South Korea, probably about the same as Germany, both from the Fed as well as Mnuchin and Pelosi together, over 10% of GDP affect the whole economy. Let's hope we can keep doing that as the election period gets closer. I'm worried we won't. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Won't be as robust, but so far, I give us very high marks on the economic side. On the healthcare side, this is a place where I think that Trump's exuberance, his exaggeration, the fact that he just wants everything to be good so he cheerleads all the time really gets him in trouble. I mean, South Korea and Germany were two very sober responses by governments that had the scientists out front from day one. And Trump is, you know, he wants to be in the limelight. He wants to have press briefings every day. And he wants to be the one saying stuff and says, hey, you know, maybe this cure will work. Let's give it a shot. There's only 15 cases in the U.S. I don't want the cases to go up. Keep the keep the boat offshore. I mean, again, it's his personality. This guy is fundamentally a cheerleader. Yeah. But I actually think that made it harder for the Americans to respond early right. to a crisis that clearly has gotten worse than most people thought it would be three months ago. All right, Ian, real quick, your, your plug. Uh, last time I didn't give you the right plug. So what's your, what do you want people to know? Uh, have people take a look at g0media.com. They can sign up for our podcast. They can look at our show and even our, our weekly newsletter, free to them, our daily newsletter, uh, Signal, uh, free to them, g0media.com. Check us out. Ian Bremmer, thanks. When Brian, we come back, you. your calls. Absolutely, sir. one 866 and your emails at briankillme.com. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Barr did exactly the right thing. Probably did it a little too late. There was never a crime here. They did absolutely the right thing. Every civil libertarian should be rejoicing. This is not a right-left issue. It's become a right-left issue. But every civil libertarian, right or left, should say, finally. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Somebody is holding the government to what its proper role is, which is to get evidence of past crimes, not to create future crimes. Alan Dershowitz, liberal attorney, he'll tell you, he wrote of Hillary Clinton, he thought the whole impeachment thing was a scam and Michael Flynn was innocent. He just repeated it for us just now. one 408 If you don't mind, I, I want to keep it here for a second because we had a chance to talk to the president for 50 minutes today. And we had a, I thought it was pretty good. I've never heard him so relaxed as president. That was the most relaxed I've ever heard him. And I think it's because things are breaking his way with this investigation at the same time knowing he's trying to negotiate this pandemic. I asked, uh, I asked him real quick about Adam Schiff still saying that Michael Flynn was guilty. Cut to. So Schiff is a crooked politician, crooked as can be, probably one of the worst I've ever seen. I've seen some beauties. Uh, a, a liar. He's a uh, terrible person. He's terrible for our country. He's a very, gotcha. very uh, dirty, crooked politician, and he's shielded by immunity. But he'll go down. Guys like that end up going down. They're crooked and bad. I don't think so, though. Uh, he's in California. He wins re-election. And on the left, he's an icon. I, I watch him. Uh, he's totally unlikable. I don't think he's dumb. But I think he is less than candid in everything he does because he's got an agenda. He wanted to be senator. He was supposed to be attorney general under Hillary Clinton. He's determined to get there under Joe Biden. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got a big hour coming your way. Geraldo will be with us. And we're going to talk to Governor Jim Justice, the Democrat turned Republican out of West Virginia. They were the, they were the state holding out with no pandemic cases. And now they got about 1,297 with uh, 51 deaths. So that was low. low. Um, uh, but it's something that it's got him concerned, like we're all concerned. Got 78,000 dead. Everybody's concerned. But we have to reopen this country. Uh, so we'll talk about that. 14.7 million people. Uh, the, excuse me, unemployment rate is at 14.7% and over 30 million have lost jobs. We were at almost uh, 3%, almost full employment back in January, even first couple of weeks of February than this. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They want to get back to work. These people want to get back to work. We know they've everybody's done what they have done, and you can only do that so long. And that causes death also. 
Uh, that is President of the United States reopening America. He was just on Fox and Friends. The hurdles, the crackdowns, and the need to be careful but deliberate with speed and realizing the danger brought home to the White House as a presidential military aide test positive for the coronavirus. Number two. Really, most people knew it from the beginning, and they know it was just a total hoax. It was a made-up story. These are dirty politicians and, and dirty cops, and, and hopefully they're going to pay a big price someday in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, Donald Trump providing a lot of my opening sound. There is, uh, from his interview a short time ago, there is no there there. The Russia probe transcriptions emerge and there's more to come. While there seem to show even that the president's greatest, even show the the president's greatest critics could not find a link to Russia. We'll bring you the details because Adam Schiff just spoke. Number one. Uh, We dismissed or are moving to dismiss the charges against uh, General Flynn. A crime cannot be established here. They did not have a basis for a counterintelligence investigation against Flynn at that stage. Bill Barr, he speaks quietly, but man, is he powerful. Michael Flynn on the path to justice with a stunning yet justified move by the DOJ to drop the prosecution of the case. The outrage is on the left. The hope is on the right. And we have to put this all in proportion. And who better to do that than one of the most popular people in the history of news who happens to be a lawyer. So he had something to fall back on. A lot of people learn to work with their hands. You decide in case all hell breaks loose and I don't become a very sexy person uh, who's very bright. I'll fall back and be a lawyer. Happy birthday to you, first of all. Oh, thank you. That was, yeah, I, didn't, I, uh, I appreciate I, it. You know, I heard how old you were. I was shocked. I thought you were like 36. Right. Because I haven't grown up yet. There's, there's an immaturity <laughs> about gonna, me that is something. The, the, you right. do have a Peter Pan-esque aspect to you. I mean, in a good <laughs> I don't think it's a good I, I, way. I'm going to review this tape. That was a great, that was a great uh, interview with the president uh, this morning. And you hit all of the... I would say I've things. never seen him so relaxed. This is the most he, relaxed he's been since he's president. Well, I think that the, the three of you make him feel that way. It's, you're welcoming, and yet you ask probing questions. I think it's a perfect, uh, it's a perfect uh, formula well, for, for getting the best well, out of him. But I, I, really, I really do believe that... Uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, you know, the the economy is awful, uh, but I, I I think that the biggest news to come out of that that whole interview this morning was his feelings about uh, China. That he's having a hard time with China, and he feels differently about China. And that's all about China's fraud. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's cover up of the coronavirus that caused so much misery because the Chinese were not frank with the world. They were not honest. Uh, they lied to the World Health Organization and the rest of us about human-to-human transfer. And I think that has affected, it may, uh, you know, that big $250 billion trade deal with China. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen now, Brian. Uh, I tell you, why don't we hear that soundbite? We just pulled it, so uh, let's hear it together. Look, I'm having a very hard time with China. I made a great trade deal months before this whole thing happened. I was the most, I was very tough with China. They have to buy $250 billion worth of product, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, a lot from our farmers, 40 to 50 billion from our farmers. And so I'm very, I'm very torn as to, I, I have not decided yet, if you want to know the truth. I mean, wow, I was stunned by that. And I'm so glad you picked that out uh, because people are picking out different sound bites because it really matters most to everybody listening. Because if the two I, biggest I, economies I, in the world, 
yeah, uh, are not going to deal with each other and going to split up the world to the good guys and bad guys again. We went through that. Uh, game on. And I think the president, I have a pretty good source, is worried about a war. A, a war with China. Oh, I don't know if it'll come to that. It could. Hey, listen, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a very hard, cruel world we live in. But one thing that I remember at, at my age, having spanned, uh, you know, the generations, I, I remember when each country made bilateral trade deals. You make a deal with a country that was good for you, and, you know, it, it was very specific. It was based on, you know, whatever the conditions were, what the product was, what the relationship was. But the deals were made for the good of the – everybody wanted the best deal for their country. Yeah. Then, on, under, you know, in the, in the opening up in, the, in this millennium, opening up world trade, and, uh, you know, we're all in this together, and, uh, you know, American factories – uh, can't compete, but it doesn't matter because we have Chinese factories that we can rely on and uh, and so forth. What this pandemic has revealed is the flaws, the fatal flaws in that kind of, uh, you know, I'm an open trader, but this is the downside of that. And I think that you're going to see a retreat to each country looking out for its own specific interests and making the best deal it possibly can with, uh, you know, one or two or three or, you know, or a group of countries, not the whole world anymore, Brian. I know, absolutely. So just interesting, Japan is, uh, and I just talked to Ian Bremmer about this, Japan is, has like a two, like a, put apart $2 billion to start luring their companies back from Japan. They are, uh, excuse me, China. They are massively pulling the manufacturing out for the reasons we all just discussed. And I'm wondering if there's a plan in place here in America and if the president would put that even out there before the election, because, you know, even if the president brings up tariffs, the market drops 250 points. Well, that's true. I think that you could have a whole new initiative. I have a buddy who does a lot of business with China. I have a couple of them, actually. Real dear friends of mine, uh, very successful, prosperous entrepreneurs. What they're all doing now is not only uh, finding other foreign sources to take up the slack when China gets boycotted, but also starting enterprises here in the United States, bringing home this manufacturing that we've scorned in, uh, in the recent generation, just bringing it back home. So the United States has a factory that makes its own antibiotics. I know. Or uh, whatever else. Uh, you know, we have the strategic petroleum reserve. We need a strategic reserve for a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I think that that's one of the lessons that we have to learn from this pandemic, Ryan. So, uh, so you're, I want to tap into your legal background. Uh, you had a chance to meet Michael Flynn, right? Yes, I, and I like him very much, very much. I, I'm you know, a huge and, fan. And I admit totally, I'm biased. He was totally screwed. I, I'm not biased about it. I'm very cold in my legal analysis. <laughs> and this was, uh, you know, th there was no basis for those FBI thugs to go to the White House under false pretenses and get Michael Flynn in a perjury trap. You know, everybody talks to everybody in Washington. You want to tell me that John Kerry, uh, out of office, uh, hasn't talked to uh, uh, to the minister or others? I mean, it, it 
baloney. Everybody talks to everybody. And to get this guy who was naive about politics, didn't know uh, he needed a lawyer present, didn't know that everything he was said was as if he was saying it under oath, they trapped him and then used him or attempted to use him against the president. For the president, thank you. Uh, thankfully, there was no there there. He couldn't tell anything, any lies about the president or any, you know, reveals about the president because there were none. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I think that there's really a lesson to be learned that politics really is a cancerous influence, that there is a deep state. I hate to be sound like a paranoid uh, uh, conspiracy theorist, but when you look at how they try to frame uh, Michael Flynn and through Michael Flynn, the president of the United States, I mean, when, when the history books are written and, uh, you know, you get away from this ideological uh, you know, uh, the New York Times just telling the New York Times had a front page story, Brian, that the president of the United States was under investigation as a Russian spy, a Russian asset, a person loyal to Russia, not America. I mean, that, imagine that based on what? Based on Papadopoulos bragging at a bar? Uh, based on a phony steel dossier uh, paid for by Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's where you get to the president of the United States under investigation for a Russian spy. I mean, it's, it's really when I, I get so angry about it. And there's so much has happened since Russia that we, uh, you know, impeachment has happened. And, uh, you know, mo- most profoundly, the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, the plague has happened. But I don't want anyone to forget Russia and how they... they they absolutely went after Donald Trump, all guns blazing, uh, attempting to to void his, his election. It's really horrifying stuff, Brian. So, so you and I could talk about this, and we have lawyers on the channel that talk about this. But when the attorney general says this, I really take note. Bill Barr, cut 11. Director Comey purposely went around the Justice Department uh, and ignored Deputy Attorney General Yates. Mm-hmm. Deputy Attorney General Yates, I've disagreed with her about a couple of things, but, you know, here uh, she upheld a, the fine tradition of the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. She said that the new administration has to be treated just like the Obama administration, and they should go and tell the White House about mm-hmm. uh, about the, their findings. They, and, uh, you know, Director Comey ran around that. He ran around it. Comey did his own thing again, like he did to Loretta Lynch with Hillary Clinton. And then it turns out when Sally Yates explains it to President Obama, he goes, I know already. So she's like, why do I even have a job here? I, so I, he's seeing these irregularities and her, stepped up. I, I would love to have her under oath. And I, 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 this is going to go this is going to go deep. This is there's a lot going on. You haven't even heard from Durham yet. Uh, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut who's been probing, uh, you know, Russiagate and the origins of it. Uh, but when it's all said and done, you're going to see it's going to be disgusting how they try to uh, to undo the election of 2016. It's really, really disgusting. And I think it should come out uh, timing-wise where it should help uh, the president in, uh, in the 2020 election. I mean, it's just the, the way it seems, right? Yeah, in a normal time. You know, I think the president, I don't think you're going to argue with me on this. It's all going to be about the response and how quick we can stand at the economy responsibly. You know, while there's a race for a vaccine, okay, let's say there isn't. Let's say the therapies are only mildly successful. How do we go about getting our lives back together and therefore the ancillary thing will be our economy somewhat normal? And that's it. Do I go to a Yank? Do I go to a Dolphin game with, six, with 16,000 people? 
Is that the new normal? Can I get to a restaurant up to 50% capacity? Can that restaurant stay in business with the gym with 50% capacity? So as the president counting on his governors and his mayors to get our country going, I think he's good. that's going to make or break his reelection. Do you agree? I absolutely 100% agree that the election will be a referendum on how the president handled the pandemic. I, I believe that that's the main, main issue. That is the, the issue that historians will remember. But I don't want anyone to forget Russia and how they tried to stab him in the back. But having said that, it's all about the pandemic. And I think that we're going to have to be a different people. I mean, for a while, we're going to have to really be antisocial. You know, I love you, but I'm not going to shake your hands anymore. Uh, you know, nope. I, 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 I'm, when I go to your house, I bring my own cutlery, my own glass. When we have a picnic, bring your own blanket. Uh, you know, that's just, the, that's just the way life is now. When you go uh, shopping, you've got to have gloves on or you've got to wash your hands or use Purell, you know, every five minutes. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, and I think that everyone's going to have right. at-home testing that takes, uh, like pregnancy tests, it's going to be that common. And uh, we should right. have that by the end of the year. I think we'll have that before the vaccine. Right. And by the way, just for the record, we, Geraldo and I don't go on picnics. And I don't, I'm not even invited to his house, let alone bringing my own plates and forks. I mean, come on, people listening right now, they think we're, out, we're, we're dating. <laughs> but I come love on. you, I know I do. Yep. You know I do. All right, we back at you, I feel the same Montauk. way. We do, we'll, we'll always have Montauk, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go get him around, though, thanks so much. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll take your calls. In the bottom of the hour, we talked to Governor of West Virginia. He's being very careful, very tight with the president, by the way. So uh, as we get, uh, we want to stand up this country. What is it like to actually have that responsibility in the governor's mansion? Governor Jim Justice next. And then you on the Michael Flynn seem to be exoneration on what we know and the pushback now from the left. They're, a, they're going after Barr now for doing the president's dirty work instead of looking at the dirty work by the seventh floor of the FBI. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show he was an innocent man he is a uh, great gentleman he was targeted by the obama administration and he was targeted in order to try and take down a president and what they've done is a disgrace and i hope a big price is going to be paid a big price should be paid there's never been anything like this in the history of our country President of the United States talking about Mike Flynn. More information comes out. It looks like no one even, uh, it looks like it's a total setup. And even if he wasn't as exactly candid, I have the information here. No one took a transcript. Do you believe this? No transcript exists of Michael Flynn's interview with those two FBI agents. But one thing they said is, yeah, I did talk to the ambassador. I don't remember what we talked about. I might have talked about sanctions. And he knew that he was being, that there was a tape of the conversation with Kislyak. And when they said to him, well, you said X, Y, and Z, he says, oh, thanks for that. Yeah, now I remember. Brian, listen, on WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Brian. 
Hey, bro. Yeah, I, I, I think in this this uh, time of bipartisan bipartisanship, it's very difficult for for those on the right to, to uh, have a conversation about this because the left just doesn't have a standard. They 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 they're so dishonest and and they they without indictments. With, without something to hold on to, they're going to sit there. They're just going to deny it. Oh, this this isn't real. This isn't happening. And it's it's that's all they understand. I, I really feel that people need to 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 feel the weight of their actions and what they did. Right, here. Brian. And, and I guess. And let me just get, answer that question. John Durham is not filing a report. He's filing charges. The word is he's going to recommend charges or not uh, on these people. And he's not going to hand over another dossier for us to read or not read with a summary at the end. That's what he's going to do. And the other thing is, think about the independents undecideds. Don't think about Democrats or Republicans. The election will be decided in the middle. Who can make the most cohesive, clear argument? And I will say this. One thing is clear, that this whole impeachment thing, it better be egregious. It better be so obvious that you have no choice because whether it's Clinton or whether it's Bush or Trump, it is such a huge distraction that our country suffers. Bin Laden was able to take root and form his army, his terrorist group, and now you see what happened. A pandemic was able to take root in the middle of this other impeachment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade. So our country is uh, getting back to work. We're opening up. We understand it now, and you can never fully under the invisible enemy. And I think we're doing really, really well. Uh, We have a ventilator system of uh, production that's been incredible. With all of that being said, it's very tough. It should never have happened. It should have been stopped at the source by China. Uh, that is the President of the United States on Fox & Friends today, one of my favorite shows. Uh, joining us now, one of my favorite governors, Governor Jim Justice, been in the studio with us to doing the radio show, the 36th governor of West Virginia, and the president is trying to be a cheerleader, says we got to get our country back as the unemployment rises to a staggering 14.6%. Uh, governor, welcome. Oh, Brian, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I, I look at you as the logo of the industry, so uh, so I, I just love you to death. Thanks, man, for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, the president, you know, he, you know him as well as any governor in the country uh, knows the president. He really respects you. You guys just seem to get along. Um, he wants things to be better. Is he overstating the optimism? Brian, I don't think so. You know, it... Uh, you know he he's done a, mag, a magnificent job, and and you are right. We're we're really close friends. We've been friends a long time, 
we come from the same mold, you know, we're both business guys, we're not politicians, neither one of us needs a job, you know, we're, we're here to do the right thing, and that's what our forefathers did, you know, they served, and that's, a lot of politicians don't do this this day and time, but, uh, but you know, it, it is a tremendously difficult job that he's doing, and, uh, and, and you know, it, I, I truly believe we're going to still go through some real bumps in the road, but uh, but I, as I said in one of my briefings the other day, you know you got one hand, the left hand over here has got risk in it, and 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 there's no question that this pandemic and this terrible killer is still with us, and it's going to be with us until we get a a, a drug that bridges us to where it makes it a common cold, and then a drug beyond that, that you know bridges us to a vaccine, and so so. As it's still with us, things we're gonna have some real bumps in the road, and and you know I think on the left hand you've got risk, and on the other, on the right hand you've got a full fledged uh, depression all across our country, and and you know if we go to that we'll lose millions of people, we'll have starvation, we'll have neighbor against neighbor, and and uh, for crying out loud, you know I, I think uh, balancing you know what we're doing, I think he's doing a heck of a job. So. Uh Governor, first off, let's talk about West Virginia. You were the last state, I believe, to have any positive cases. Now, the stats we have, you have almost 1,300. Uh, 51 people have lost their lives. And you're going slow but steady. How close are you to opening up West Virginia entirely? Well, I think, you know, we'll just continue to look at the numbers, and that's not a political answer. I don't ever give political answers, but we're going to continue to look at our numbers and everything. You know, Brian, we have witnessed a miracle in West Virginia, and and, and I, I say that because, you know, we've had a lot of people that have been pulling the rope, especially just West Virginians in general, because they listen. But you look at West Virginia. I mean, it is the oldest state. It is the highest-risk state. A state that has a lot of chronic illnesses, and we are sitting right in the middle of the hottest spot of all, within 600 miles of of two-thirds of the population of the country, and we have absolutely pitched unbelievable numbers. I mean, we've lost 51 people, you know, which is terrible. It's 51 too many, but... uh, but we have been on top of it. You know, we've been the first in the nation to test all the nursing homes. Now we're the first in the nation to test all the assisted living people. And, and we're on it. And, and, and I'll tell you why, because, you know, West Virginia has been looked at, you know, maybe a little, you know, on the, on the backside, but we're a diamond that people really missed. And, uh, you talk about social distancing, you can live in West Virginia in majestic social distancing. And so, it is, uh, we got a lot of smart people here and doing a lot of good things, but, uh, we're going to just go slow and, uh, and, and we're opening up more and more every day. And, and but we've got to really, we're just going to stay right on, dead on top of our numbers. So you, um, you did something extraordinary like Florida. You really focused on your seniors and your nursing home testing. You announced that an effort to test all residents and staff members at every nursing home in West Virginia. I know New York is much, it's much denser, much bigger, uh, but it's been a disaster here. Here's Governor Cuomo on nursing homes. If you are tested positive for the virus, are you allowed to be admitted to a nursing home is the question? Or readmitted? Yeah. It's a good question. I don't know. Policy is that if you are positive, you should be admitted back to a nursing home. The necessary precautions will be taken 
to protect the other residents there. That's single-handedly the stupidest thing you've ever heard, and it's cost so many lives. When you had the Javits Center and the USNS Comfort available, why did you realize that would be a problem, and why don't others? Well, Brian, I can't explain that. You know, you know, you and I both know, and not just casting stones, but you and I both know that uh, the New York situation is, is difficult. But at the same time, there was bad decisions made there, and they were made late. You know, the first thing that I did, and I, and I did this, you know, in the last days of February, the first days of March, is is I stopped all visitation in all, all nursing homes. Period, right off the get go, and then. When we had any kind of flare-up at all, I tested every single staff member and every single person in every nursing home. You know, there's, there's been so many things that we've been out in front of the curve, you know, you know, as far as closing schools and di- different things, you know, emergency orders and everything that we've done over and over and over. And 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 I, I really believe that, you know, you, you've got to have a real feel for uh, – big-time problems, and, you know, a, a business guy has had to take on big-time problems all of his life, and and I, I don't mean this in an egotistical way, but uh, I think the good Lord put me in this position to be able to handle this thing, and I'm honored to be able to do it, and I'm going to do it, and uh, and so I just feel like watching the stuff on, you know, on, on the television that's going on in New York, it's a crime chain. And for God's sake, the living, you know, just hauling body after body after body out. When you get behind this thing, this thing will eat you alive. And that's just what's happened. And that's what's happened in New York versus what's happened here. Uh, is the PPP program, which you observed, and is the small business loan program working? Because I know we're a nation of 350 million people and it's impossible to please everyone. But I'm getting a lot of people very frustrated, especially with the SBA loan situation. That's not enough. It's taking too long, and the communication's bad. What do you hear? Oh, Brian, listen, you know, when you roll out a program, you know, uh, I think the initial was 300, uh, $350 billion and then another additional almost $500 billion. And you roll out those kind of programs and everything, there's going to be all kinds of abilities to, to throw stones because nobody, nobody in the world has ever put together something like this and put it together in two or three weeks. I mean, and, and, and so there's going to be the ability to throw a lot of stones, but but you know, the, I, I think from a from a small business standpoint, there's a lot of people that are really helped. But the but the bottom line is one thing, and that's just this: it, is you know, if your business is not open and you're paying your employees, and you're going to you're going to go through that, and you're going through a seventy five percent number that's got you've got to pay seventy five percent in wages or insurances or whatever it may be to tie to your employees, and you're not working. You know, at you know that eight weeks is going to go zooming by. You've got a lot of other expenses that are weighing on you big time, whether it be rent or utilities or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're going to wake up in one hell of a mess. And and I hate to say that, but it's just that's just all there is to it. And so, so, uh, so sure, there's problems, and we got to adjust as we go. And I'm I'm confident the federal government and the and the players, especially the president, and the vice president, they'll. They'll, they'll, they'll understand, and, they'll, and we'll get this right. 
And finally, in uh, West Virginia, what's open, what's not? Uh, what, what, you're in first, the first phase, right? Well, we're 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 further down the, the down the pipe than that because you know when we we didn't close many places. You know, we had a we had a broad stance on essentials, and you know the essential businesses were left open, and uh, and so. So there's, you know, we've surely had to modify our lives and everything, but but people really listened here, Brian, and, and they 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 did all the right stuff, and and you know, so so right now, you know, of course, we first brought back our, our elective surgeries and all of our hospital stuff, and now all the ancillary stuff that goes with any kind of medical care, and and you know, we're slowly just you know bringing back you know outdoor dining and. And indoor dining's right right, right around the the corner, and uh, there's just some, you know our, our barber shops and nail salons and all those are open, and 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 so West Virginia's coming back, you know. And uh, but I, Brian, I've got to say this real quick, and it's just this, you know. And this is what Jim Justice believes, and he believes this with all his heart. You know, we're going to go through a, a two or three months here. It's going to be a little bit bumpy. In fact, it could be real bumpy. And then what's going to happen is, you know, three or four months down the road, we're going to get a drug that's going to diminish this thing from a killer to a cold. And at that point in time, you will see you will see our economy, led by our president, really start to move because all of these stimulus dollars are out there and they're in our process now. And and then right behind that, hopefully in the next four or five months behind that, you're going to see a vaccine. And I really believe in 2021, you're going to see our nation boom like you can't fathom. And so I hope and pray I'm right, but uh, but I think we've got two or three months here, a little bit bumpy road. Uh, absolutely. The question is, do, does America want Joe Biden to bring America back or do they want Donald Trump? You were a Democrat for a long time. If you revised the president, how to sell that message, what would you tell him? Well, first and foremost, I wasn't a Democrat for very long in my life. Most all of my life, I've been a Republican. My parents were solid, rock solid Republicans their entire life, and everything. I just, you know, I mean, you got to forgive me for having a brain fart. I mean, that's all there is to it. But, uh, but you know, I didn't say that very long, and I got real frustrated with what was going on real quick there. But, uh, but I, I'll tell you, if if our nation ends up with Joe Biden. You know, we might as well shut the doors. I mean, honest to Pete, you know, I bless his heart. I don't want to. I don't want to make fun, but but a man that doesn't have a clue, you know, where he's at a lot of times, and 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 when it really gets right down to it, you got to be on your game. I mean, you got to be on your game at all times because there's people that are trying to knock you off your game nonstop, and and if this nation, if we turn the keys of this nation over to Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. We have got to be crazy when this. When you see how this man has handled, you know, first of all, he drove us to twenty nine thousand on the stock market, and so much goodness, it's unbelievable. And then, on right on top of that, you know, we come back with this terrible pandemic, and he's able to handle that. This is the man for the job, and without any question, we've got to elect Donald Trump. I mean, if we don't, we are complete crazy. So that's all there is to it. Okay. You say it like it is. No wonder you guys get along. Um, Governor, I hope to see you soon and, uh, and, and best of luck the rest of the way. I know you'll be slow and steady, but you have that business mindset. Uh, we want to work our way out of it. Just uh, let us out of our house. Uh, that's all we ask. Governor Jim Justice, thanks so much.
All right, Brian. Be good. Thank you. Bye-bye. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Quick reminder, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, comes out on paperback. Uh, comes out on Tuesday. I'll be talking about it on the show a little bit. I also have some new information. I know people have been reading a lot during the pandemic, but you can't go to a bookstore in most states. So you'll have to order it online or go to Walmart, Kmart, or uh, Costco. Uh, they're there. So you can order it now. It'll be there. Got new intelligence. What, uh, find out what Lincoln asked of Houston and what he said back. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. one 866 well, you know the number, four zero nine two, whatever. Um, I got a, I've got a bunch of emails out, and I also got your phone calls, and we're going to try to give you more to know. Question is, can I get it all in? Jim, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Jim. Hello, Brian. Hey, what's on your mind? Oh, I'm not going anywhere. I've been in the same spot for five and a half hours. Uh, what's on your mind? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had you on speak. I apologize. Listen, um, Brian, I'm a big fan, and I just wanted to get uh, 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 your thought process on something because uh, I'm in New Jersey. I have family members in Pennsylvania, New York, and all of us, none of us, we filed, and we're not getting our unemployment uh, benefits. We're getting the runaround. Some people are six weeks already. And just like Governor Christie said that, and many people have said that the Social Security is broke, there's no money, just IOUs. I'm really curious, because those three states are blue states, if they spent the unemployment benefits, and they're just giving people the runaround. No, no, this is what I think's happening. They're not equipped to do it. And Lindsey Graham, I don't know if you listen to the show every day, but as soon as this passed, Lindsey Graham hopped on our show and said, I need to speak to you. The unemployment is not going to work. Their 1970s technology in most of these states, when they get flooded with bigger requests than ever before, they're not going to be able to handle it. So you said you filed in New York or New Jersey? New Jersey, and I filed under the PUA. New Jersey also did another little uh, scam. Again, you know, this might be my, my thought process, where they, they said they didn't get federal guidelines on how to uh, uh, distribute that money. Uh, it was about a week and a half ago. They had a newsletter on their their website. So you know, if everybody, how, how could they have had to wait so long? It's unacceptable. I, I with us, it was a processing thing in New York. Connecticut was better. I'm not sure about Pennsylvania and uh, New Jersey. I, you guys are a mess. I mean, you, you're just a mess. And your governor to push back another three weeks, uh, any type of a, a reopening is just crap. So I, I feel bad for you guys on unemployment, but you are going to get the money. It's going to come later, and you need it now. I get it. But I was told you are going to get the money. I have researched that. Kayla, WVMT in Montreal. Kayla. Oh, and happy birthday. Thank you happy so much. Birthday. You say we got to make some de- – thank you. You, you say we got to make some decisions on China? 
I work as an infection control research nurse, and back in the uh, 2002 with SARS, one of the things we researched was that 30% of the uh, Chinese population in the 90s had contracted TB. I think it's a little bit higher than that. So technically, they're walking incubators. And since that, uh, and also with their dietary practices and bizarre practices of eating a lot of animals that actually have COVID, either it's a lack of education, but we have to start making decisions on, I won't travel to China, and I haven't been to Chinatown in 20 years because of all the knowledge that I know. Right. Listen, Kayla, I'm with you, but don't take it down on the American Chinese or Chinatown in America. Uh, China is different. And I would love to pull our manufacturing and pull it out. And if we can't handle it here, I want to put it into Central America and rebuild uh, with those hardworking people. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Andy McCarthy, and we're going to unwind the exoneration, which is looming for Michael Flynn, and the revelation that most of the Russia probe uh, was based on no facts. Uh, which we knew. Do you think Trump was colluding with, uh, colluding with uh, Vladimir Putin to beat Hillary Clinton? Uh, that, that was pretty much a done deal. But now, if you look at the 53 interviews and the transcripts that have been released, even the Oversight Committee led by Adam Schiff knew it, but they said a totally different story. I'll discuss that with Andy McCarthy and company, and as well as taking your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. So let's get to the big three, because we have Governor Greg Abbott from Texas. you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They want to get back to work. These people want to get back to work. We know they've, everybody's done what they have done, and you can only do that so long, and that causes death also. No kidding, Mr. President. Reopening America, the hurdles and crackdowns. We need to be careful, but we got to do it with speed because there is danger to waiting. Brought home to the White House is the danger. When a presidential military aide tested positive for the coronavirus, he actually serves him his food. So far, the president has tested negative. Number two. Really, most people knew it from the beginning, and they knew it was just a total hoax. It was a made-up story. These are dirty politicians and, and dirty cops and and hopefully they're going to pay a big price someday in the not-too-distant future. There is no there there. Russia probe, transcripts emerge, and there's more to come. While they seem to show even the president's greatest critics could not find a link to Russia, we'll bring you the details. Number one. Uh, we dismissed or are moving to dismiss the charges against uh, General Flynn. A crime cannot be established here. They did not have a basis for a counterintelligence investigation against Flynn at that stage. He's an amazing attorney general and he's fearless. Michael Flynn on the path to justice with a stunning yet justified move by the DOJ to drop prosecution. The outrage on the left and the hope on the right that we'll get to the bottom of all this. And with me right now is Governor Greg Abbott, was just with the president yesterday uh, of Texas. Uh, Governor, welcome back. Great to be back with you again, man. The president was on fire yesterday. He wants to get this country going and growing again, and that's exactly what Texas is working with him on, to open up our job sectors uh, to get people back to work. 
Right. Uh, and I, we interviewed him for 45 minutes on Fox and Friends, and I've never heard him so relaxed since he got the job. I mean, literally, in two days, he was being under Russia's scrutiny and the firing of Comey and now the impeachment, the Ukraine and the pandemic. I've never heard him so relaxed, even though he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. Is that the way you found him? Oh, let me tell you, it was amazing because, you know, we had that press conference yesterday. And then after the press conference, uh, in such a relaxed way, uh, he wanted to show me all different kinds of things about uh, his desk, about uh, the walkway outside and things like that. And so I have never seen him more relaxed. And I think it may be because of what you're suggesting. And that is uh, he has seen a, a lot of these things that he's been attacked on and has turned out to be false. Uh, and he's being vindicated about the positions that he's been in. And so you know, maybe that uh, provides some sense of, of, of relaxation. Uh, but also, you know what he loves to do as much as anything else, and that is to go on offense, uh, focus on creating jobs. And I think he's beginning to see the division where he's going to be able to start doing that. And he's so appreciative of the role that the state of Texas is playing and other states are playing to make sure that we begin the process in a very safe way to open up our job markets. We don't really have a choice, Governor. I mean, we'd love to have a vaccine. We'd love to have a therapy, but we don't. And the current, the status quo, no one has to tell you, does not work. Unemployment's at 14.7 percent. We're at 33 million unemployed. They are not only needed in a job, they're going to need health insurance. And then you've got to ask people that just lost a job to continue to pay COBRA. I mean, this is tough, tough, tough stuff. And we're writing checks to help people on money we don't have. It's all on overdraft. So looking at Texas, 35,000, we start the day with Texas confirmed cases, 35,390. The mortality rate very low at 973, but each one I know you feel. And you're beginning to open up your state. What could you tell us, what concerns you most, and what opens up today, May 8th? Well, one thing that people are very excited about in Texas is one thing that opens up today uh, is uh, barbershops, hair salons nail salons. Uh, And there could not be more better timing for this because we're just on the eve of Mother's Day. And so uh, all these mothers uh, are going to be able to go out and get their hair done and and their daughters are going to be able to get their hair done and get ready uh, for a Mother's Day celebration. But let me go back and answer your broader question in the context of which you brought it up. And and that is, you said there is no vaccine right now. Uh, But what we need to do, we need to be able to bridge a divide from where we are now until there is a vaccine. And we have a strategy for doing exactly that, because uh, what we are focusing on, we, we have these surge response teams that go after all the hot sectors wherever there may be an outbreak, and they include three primary places. Uh, they include jails and prisons, uh, they include nursing homes, and they include these meatpacking plants. If we can control those three, we will be able to control the spread of the coronavirus in Texas, and I think the same thing probably is going to be true for other states. But uh, So my point is this. Uh, we've identified ways that we can control and manage the spread of the coronavirus so that we can strategically uh, more open up the economy in the state of Texas. So uh, on 60 Minutes, they were looking at some of the concerns in in some of it in rural Texas. We also know Sid Miller, who's the Texas Commissioner of Agriculture, uh, was talking about what his greatest concern is uh, because he wants a uh, he's pushing for a rural Texas hospitals. Uh, He's worried about the, the rural Texas hospitals because they don't have much capacity and they're being pushed hard. Cut 51. Any sense of how many hospitals, um, rural hospitals, are at risk right now in Texas? Well, of the 163 we have, 60 of them have less than 30 days cash on hand. Whoa. Yeah, some of them, some, actually we have one filing for bankruptcy this week. 
the hospital. Uh, in Alpine, Texas, that and, and the parent company are, are filing for bankruptcy. So Did we this already, push them over the edge, the yes, COVID? Yes, it, yeah. it pushed them over the edge. And I'm, I'm afraid uh, this pandemic, we're going we're gonna to continue to lose uh, health care providers in rural Texas and across the nation. Uh, do you have the same concerns, and do you want to shed any additional light on that? Yeah, well, listen, we're always concerned about uh, rural Texas in general, uh, but especially healthcare in rural Texas, because, you know, in, in Houston and Dallas, our large urban areas, uh, we have tremendous hospital capacity. Uh, the hospital capacity is not quite as great uh, in rural Texas. And as a result, uh, one thing that we've done uh, is we have been uh, drawing down this money that has been appropriated by the United States Congress uh, for certain strategies for rural hospitals. And we've been uh, providing that money for those rural hospitals to make sure they're going to be able to uh, continue to thrive and provide the health care services that the people in rural Texas need. Bottom line is this, uh, Texas, uh, whether it be our rural areas or uh, from uh, the, the, the large cities, we have never been impacted or limited in our hospital capacity the way that you've seen in New York and New Jersey and places like that. So we have plenty of hospital beds. Uh, we have plenty of PPE. Uh, we have plenty uh, of ventilators, things like that. So we're going to make sure that Texans will be continued to be mm-hmm. taken care of throughout this pandemic. You know, people go to Texas for freedom. That's how they went there. Even America had too many restrictions and the prices were too high. And they go for a fresh start and they go to Texas. And those are the ancestors of the people that uh, put you into office. And then you tell them they can't do things like go to a restaurant. Uh, they can't stay on a beach too long uh, they're, or at all. And then you tell them uh, they can't go to a jewelry store or a florist. They're not going to like it, but much more than I think the rest of the country. When one salon owner saw her whole uh, career go down the pipe, uh, was going down the pipe, as well as her business, she decided, the heck with the rules, I'm going to open up anyway. They served her, uh, they served her a, uh, a warrant. They said, you've got to appear in court. She ripped it up. When the judge got in front, of, when she got in front of the judge, the judge says, you better apologize and admit you're selfish. Uh, she said, no, cut 41 is Shelley Luther. I think he was referring to Clay Jenkins, the, you know, county commissioner. Um, that was the last thing I was going to do, honestly, because the way that he has acted during this entire thing is just ridiculous. So I, I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to apologize. So she took jail. She's now out of jail. What are your thoughts about this whole thing? And I know you took action. Yeah, I'll tell you what I did in a second. But first, uh, the, the situation is even more egregious than what you just articulated because uh, that took place in Dallas County. Understand this, in Dallas County, the district attorney, the, the lead prosecuting authority in Dallas County, uh, have previously articulated their position in Dallas County, and that is uh, if anybody uh, is caught stealing something of value of $750 and less, they're not going to prosecute them. They're not going to put them in jail. They're not going to take any legal action against thieves whatsoever if the thief steals something for less than $750. So it is egregious, on the one hand, uh, that they would not prosecute a someone uh, who steals, but yet they want to uh, put someone like uh, this hardworking businesswoman in jail. But also, at the very same time, I know that Dallas County is among the counties in the state of Texas where they were thinking about letting people out of jail uh, because of the possibility that they could contract COVID-19. And yet again, they wanted to put this hardworking uh, woman in jail. So it, it just made no sense. And, and because you know, the system in the state of Texas was making no sense, it defied 
comprehension. That's why I took action yesterday uh, to make sure that during this pandemic, uh, no business owner uh, could be put in jail. So I, I eliminated uh, the possibility of jail time uh, for anyone who is uh, charged with or accused of not complying with the executive orders issued either by me or by local authorities. So I was talking to, um, I think you're an attorney general, and he had mentioned that you guys are still short on testing. Even though you're testing more, you're still short. What do you need? Well, what, uh, what, uh, let me tell you what's coming in, because what's coming in is robust. One thing that uh, the, the governors have the opportunity to do is we have twice a week phone calls with uh, the president, the vice president, Dr. Burks, and people like that. Uh, and, and what they are providing here during the course uh, of the month of May, uh, they want to make sure every state will be testing 2% of our population. Uh, and so for Texas, that's going to be 600,000 people uh, for the month of May and for every month. And, and, and then in addition to that, uh, the CDC is making available uh, additional uh, test collection swabs. And so uh, here by next week, uh, we're going to be in a robust position to be able to test. But, Brian, let me tell you this, because this is important for you, but also for your audience. And that is testing is not an end of itself. Testing is a means to an end to help identify those who may test positive, but that still is a means to an end. The real end is this. Uh, We want to keep people out of hospitals, and we want to keep our death rate low. Understand that Texas has uh, one of the lowest death rates in the United States uh, and one of the lowest hospitalization rates. Our hospitalization rate has remained steady throughout this entire pandemic. And so uh, we're not going to have the death like you've seen in New York. Uh, We're not going to have the hospitalization uh, catastrophes like you've seen in New York uh, because our medical care teams in the state of Texas are doing such a great job. All right. uh, Governor, can't thank you enough. I know you're a busy guy. Governor Greg Abbott, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Best of luck as you open up salons today and get ready for Mother's Day. 1-866-408-7669. Just real quick, I think I mentioned earlier that my paperback's coming out on Tuesday on Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, because I think it is Texas. But I also have a pretty good event coming up. And being that you can't really have, uh, you you know, you can't go on book tour, obviously, because no one's going to come and you can't really travel. I got this one virtual thing for my Oklahoma uh, or anybody who wants to be part of this event. Um, it's a ticketed event. It's 7 o'clock. Go to briankillmead.com. Just click on events, and it's there. It's a ticketed event. Each ticket includes one paperback copy of Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and one link to the virtual event hosted on Zoom. So you could be anywhere. You don't have to be in Tulsa. Uh, it just happens to be where the bookstore is. Empty, uh, where it's, uh, the bookstore is. So just sign up and be part of it. It is May 12th, Tuesday, May 12th at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, it's uh, my first virtual event. Don't leave me alone there from 7 till 8.30, and we'll get those uh, personalized books out. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. 1-866-408-7669. I'll be taking some of your calls right now as well. Uh, we have a lot to go over. You just get an idea of what's going on in Texas. I know we're looking at uh, a lot of people in New York. 
are a little concerned. It was uh, we went up uh, for two days in a row in New York State. On May 8th, they have 521 deaths. On May 7th, yesterday, 499 deaths. On May 6th, 125. Now, uh, that could happen because people getting pulled off ventilators at different time when you went in. It could be all different things. They're also working hard on remdesivir and be, uh, expediting that to all these states. And evidently, there was a little bit of a heated exchange between the president, the vice president, and Secretary uh, Alex Azar because the, the remdesivir is not getting out quick enough. So, uh, you know, if you got a cure, it would be great if people can actually get it. So uh, we'll discuss that. Let's go to Joe listening in Florida. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. No problem. Uh, you know, I, 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 my life hasn't been easy. I, I, in my life, I beat back cancer, diabetes. Uh, I lost my left eye to a staph infection. Uh, I needed my organs failed. I needed a double organ transplant in 2008. I died for seven minutes. Um, had a double organ transplant ten years ago. I understand people who can claim victimhood. I don't choose to. And you know, uh, by by the way, I sent you a book. About, uh, gave it to one of your producers the day after they cleaned out your office last year on the TV side. I was at a publicity okay. summit in New York City, but uh, all hopefully. Right cluttering up your office again but uh you know i think people going forward they don't need to choose to be a victim they need to choose to be smart and this moment right now covid19 is like everyone's 9-11 moment where you know the people who suffered 9-11 the people who are the survivors the family the first responders those people you see every year on the anniversary talk on television those are the people with the most credibility, and they're the ones that are the most positive. And, coincidentally, they tend to lean right. Now, with this moment where everyone is going to be claiming their victimhood of COVID-19, these are people who claim to be victims. They seem to all lean towards the left. And we can see with the stats of the blue states that are it's much worse there than anywhere else. Right. Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, but I, I have to say they are the dentists. A lot of the blue states are big cities. Uh, so far, I think people are pressuring some of the blue states to play a little more straight. And I think you're seeing that pressure in California. They're starting to open things up. Uh, the big battle is going to be uh, the big battle is going to be for sure uh, when they talk about another rescue package. I don't know how that's going to go. Dave was on WABC and Tom's River. Hey, Dave. Hey Brian, I love your sh- I love your show. Listen, Christopher Ray, Thanks Christopher so much. Ray has to Christopher Ray has to go. He was involved with Enron and uh, with Andrew Weissman and with Comey and the Enron scandal where they where they um, uh, bankrupted their whole company and they were overturned in the Supreme Court. And he's uh, he's got roots that go way back with those guys, and he's one of them. And he really should not have been hiding all these uh, FOIA requests that are being being asked for right now. And he's a really really bad guy. That he's he's masquerading like a good guy, but he goes back to Comey, Weissman, and all of them, and he's one of them. I asked the president about that today, directly, and he says, "We'll basically we'll see." I don't see him do anything with Ray until the election, but if he wins, Ray is gone, unless he changes something. We talked to Andy McCarthy about the big cases that are dominating the headlines here on Fox News. Uh, Michael Flynn, as well as the trans- the transcripts from the Russia investigation. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, we dismissed or are moving to dismiss the charges against uh, General Flynn. A crime cannot be established here. They did not have a basis for a counterintelligence investigation against Flynn at that stage. I think it's sad that nowadays uh, these partisan feelings are so strong that people have lost any sense of justice. It really has. And they say Bill Barr lost any sense of justice because he's just doing the president's dirty work. And James Comey urges those in the Justice Department to not leave. They have to wait for better leadership. It's coming. Do it for America. Andrew McCarthy is doing this just for me. He's a Fox News contributor, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He wrote the bestseller, Ball of Collusion, the Pot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andrew, is this part of what you talked about? And is Attorney General Barr... Partisan, or is he partisan towards the law? Well, in my view, Brian, I I think he's trying to do a competent law enforcement job in taking a look at this uh, debacle to see if there was actually any reason to go forward with a prosecution. And it's not just Attorney General Barr. He brought in an experienced U.S. attorney from St. Louis, the uh, Jeff Jensen, the U.S. attorney there, who's not only a well-respected investigator as a prosecutor, he's also a former FBI agent. So I think he was uniquely suited to examine what went on here. And, you know, look, Barr thought the case against Flynn uh, was not viable. I think he's right about that. He also, I'd point out, Brian, uh, decided not to prosecute Andrew McCabe, even though there was Uh, evidence brought by Obama's inspector general that he had multiple times misled investigators. Uh, He decided not to bring a case of potentially leaking classified information against uh, former FBI director Comey. Uh, And I think his consistent message since he's been attorney general has been that the Justice Department's job is to see if there was a serious crime committed. And if there wasn't, then the Justice Department needs to be out of politics and politics needs to be out of the Justice Department. That's what he's trying to accomplish here. So everyone comes back to, well, he lied under oath and even the president said he lied to the vice president. So he fired him. How could you reverse yourself now? Now, upon reading this and researching this, it looks as though he had a conversation with two FBI agents. He did not know he was under uh, you know, he was being interviewed as a possible criminal charges. And he did say that he knew he was being taped. He had indications he knew he was being taped. Uh, meanwhile, Bill Barr is somebody that says, uh, you know, how do you answer the question is he admitted he lied. Now he says he didn't lie. What do we believe? And what Bill Barr says, it's immaterial. Cut eight. He admitted lying to the FBI. Does the fact remain that he lied? Well, you know, people sometimes plead to things uh, that turn out not to be crimes. And uh, the Department of Justice 
uh, is not persuaded that this was material to any legitimate counterintelligence investigation. So it was not a crime. So what do you think about that? I mean, basically, if he did lie, and it's still not a crime. And what he was doing, have a conversation with the ambassador of Russia, is something that fits within his job description. Thoughts? Brian, yeah, Brian, I, I agree with the attorney general's bottom line, which is that objectively, as you can, looking at this case, I don't think there's any way the government could have proved what was charged beyond a reasonable doubt if they had to try this case. And if that's where you're at as a prosecutor, you have an ethical obligation to dismiss it. Now, I'm not as persuaded as the attorney general is that the, the argument that carries the day here is the legal argument that there was a lack of materiality because there was no basis for an underlying investigation to make a viable false statements case. The false statement or the alleged false statement has to be material to something. And if you don't have a good reason underlying uh, to do the investigation, then there's a good argument that any false statements not material. So I'm not saying I disagree with his legal analysis. I think it's right. Um, what I'm saying is relying on the legal reason to drop the case um, obviates the need to go to the next step, which is if you decided to get past the materiality and just say, how do we try this case in court? The entire government's case against General Flynn is the testimony of two agents who have immense credibility problems, uh, namely Peter Strzok, who uh, has been basically booted out of the FBI for misconduct. And the other witness to Flynn's statement was Joe Pienka, who was the case agent on the Trump-Russia investigation and is largely responsible and could be cross-examined about uh, the misstatements and misrepresentations that were made to the FISA court in connection with the Carter Page surveillance. So you would get into all that. You would get into the manipulation by the FBI of Flynn's, uh, the, the memorandum they did about Flynn's interview, which is mind-boggling. And you'd have to get into all of the Justice Department's misconduct in not turning over exculpatory evidence to Flynn's counsel. And I think it's a lot cleaner for the Justice Department to say, look, as a matter of law, because there's no materiality, there's no case here, and then we have to dismiss it, than to go to the next level of saying, if we ever tried to uh, try this piece of dog doo-doo in a federal court, and we had to put these witnesses on the stand, and we had to start explaining what we did with the 302 and why we withheld the exculpatory evidence, the case would get laughed right. out of court, and it would be a major embarrassment for the Justice Department and the FBI. So, so Andy, I want you to hear, so I agree with you. I'm not an attorney. You are. In talking to attorneys, I agree with you. Uh, Barr made the right decision. I also know fundamentally his character, despite that Turkish deal, which I don't know what it's about. I think he would have been a great national security advisor. He already proved it. Uh, maybe he was going to blow up the intelligence agencies, and this is how they had it. This is their idea of stopping it. But listen to the attacks, not on Trump, on Bill Barr for doing this. Cut 15. It's a stunning, stunning, but I guess any close watcher of William Barr couldn't describe it as shocking uh, move 
from this attorney general in the midst of a pandemic. If it wasn't clear enough when the Mueller report came out, this certainly confirms the president got the attorney general he wanted. It is, uh, I think, breathtaking dishonesty from the Justice Department. And as with the Roger Stone case, it is a sign that if you are a friend of the president, you will get different treatment from from Bill Barr. You will get better treatment from Bill Barr. Now we see Bill Barr really just doing Donald Trump's dirty work. Bill Barr has stepped in and taken this really unprecedented step. Almost everyone you heard is a lawyer, Angie. Yeah. You want to change your mind? Well, maybe ask, maybe he is guilty. I, I'd ask him one simple question, Brian. Do they think President Trump wanted the case against Andy McCabe dropped? The Obama inspector general found four different instances of black and white false statements made to investigators. I think two of them under oath. And Barr looked at that case and decided that's not a case we want to bring. Do you think President Trump was happy about that decision? Do you think that does anybody think that the president wanted Andy McCabe to skate under circumstances where the Justice Department had an arguably prosecutable false statements case against them? Does anybody really think that? Good point. So, Andy, i got to bring you a couple of things. Could the judge blow this up? I don't think so, Brian, because as a practical matter in the, in the law that the Justice Department lays out in the submission they made yesterday is pretty clear. The judge has very little discretion to deny the Justice Department's dismissal of a case uh, because it's there's a lot of law for the proposition that it's up to the the executive branch exclusively whether to go forward with a prosecution or not and i think judge sullivan knows that if he tried to just to ignore what the justice department did and sentence flynn anyway he would get reversed on appeal so i don't think he's going to do that well uh we're talking to annie mccarthy a couple more minutes one eight six six uh four oh eight uh seven six six nine so, uh, Andy, when you look at this case, now people are saying if, uh, if Michael Flynn gets out, he's going to have his first interview and talk about that and try to rebuild his life and pay off a multi-million dollar legal uh, bill. But when you look at what's next on the Russia probe as more transcripts are now out, some of the quotes are pretty astounding. And I'm wondering if this they would maybe add it to your paperback. Uh, it doesn't look like there was even anybody on the record saying that there was collusion with the president. James Clapper, I never saw any direct empirical evidence. He went on to say, I do think, though, that they thought President Trump would be an easier to deal with. He's a businessman. He'd be more willing to negotiate. But I don't think there was anything more than that. Really, Samantha Power, when asked whether she had evidence of collusion, I am not in possession of anything. Susan Rice, to the best of my recollection, there wasn't anything smoking, but there were some things that gave me pause. I don't recall intelligence that I would consider evidence to that effect. And lastly, Ben Rhodes, uh, Mr. Echo Chamber, says the deputy national security advisor said this, quote, I wouldn't have received any information on any criminal or counterintelligence intelligence uh, investigation into what the Trump campaign was doing. I would not have been in, been in the loop. Sally Yates, if you're asking me, did I reach the conclusion that he had? Uh, the answer would be no. Wow. That's, those, those aren't Democrats. Those aren't Republicans. Those are Democrats. We didn't even need to spend this money and waste two years. Yeah, well, Brian, that's really, you've hit the, the nail on the head with, with your last comment. What's astonishing here 
is that these are the people on the inside who knew what the state of the evidence was. And notwithstanding that there was a complete dearth of evidence, they created this sort of gaslighting impression for the country that there was a serious uh, concern among people in the government and the intelligence community that Trump was in cahoots with the Kremlin. And they conducted a, uh, a, a an investigation as if that was a serious possibility. And it's just another iteration of what I wrote about yesterday at National Review on the um, the memo that Rosenstein put out in August of 2017, authorizing Mueller's investigation. It, he basically gives them the license to conduct an investigation that all their underlying evidence told them by that point was completely empty. There was no reason to believe that there had ever there had actually been criminal conduct in the nature of collusion between the Trump campaign in Russia, and yet they persisted in the investigation. And you have to ask at a certain point, did they do this just to create a damaging political narrative and a damaging impression about Trump that would make it very difficult for him to govern and that would make it easier for him to be defeated in the next election? So then why would the administration be looking to stop the grand jury testimony from coming out? Well, I, I, I guess there, you know, there's a couple of things going on. One is there's a legal consideration. The Justice Department has been litigating uh, in the D.C. Circuit uh, about the circumstances under which grand jury information can be disclosed. And Barr has argued that there's a legal bar on that uh, in the in the federal rules. Uh, and, I, you know, as far as why else they wouldn't want this information to come out, I, I don't know. To my mind, the best thing right now, instead of death of a thousand cuts, would be put it all out. Just let put everything out uh, and let's get it on the table. And I, I, I suppose the one other possibility, Brian, as I think about it, is we don't know how it affects Durham's investigation. You know, there may be some things that they're holding back on until Durham makes up his mind about whether there's actually a criminal case here or not. And if they're still interviewing witnesses, the last thing you would want is to have everything right. uh, be public because that makes it harder to interview people. Very interesting. Uh, so you wrote Ball of Collusion, and, and you had a lot of answers in that, and you have that great legal mind, and you write columns all the time. So you laid the groundwork for the book. But with the, in light of all these transcripts that have been out over the last 48 hours or 24 hours, is there anything that surprised you that's come out? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to write about this for the weekend, too. It's, uh, I, I'm amazed that Sally Yates, who was the acting attorney general, didn't know about the Flynn-Kisliak conversations until she was told about them by President Obama. So, in other words, the FBI, which works for the Justice Department, was coordinating with apparently the White House National Security Council in the Obama administration, and the Justice Department's out of the loop. So they're, they're keeping that from the Justice Department. And then I have to think about that in conjunction with what we already know, which is that the Justice Department, uh, in a kind of an ineffective way, pushed back against the FBI at the beginning when they wanted to do 
uh, a FISA on uh, Carter Page. And I'm just wondering if we have to not only really closely examine what was the relationship between the FBI and the White House, but also ask, you know, what was the Justice Department's role here? And were they actually, you know, for, for all the people who talk about the deep state coup and all that stuff, um, you know, was the Justice Department really in on something like that? Or were they actually in a very ineffective way kind of pushing against it? I think we really have to look at that. Wow, very interesting. And then with Barack Obama, my big question is, was he against Flynn or against Trump or both? Because they that's had a such a robbery question. when he got fired in 2016, 2014. Yeah, that's, a great, that's, that's really a great question. I mean, I, I've, I've, been under the, uh, I, I've been under the theory that if the FBI wanted to continue the investigation of Trump, it would have been very hard to do that with a savvy intelligence official who was loyal to the president in the national security yeah. advisor position. But there's a very there's a very good counter argument that their real problem was with Flynn. Yeah. Uh, and that gotcha. you know, it wasn't about Trump. And I, I don't think we can answer that yet. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Back in a moment. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So uh, thanks so much for listening all all week long. I just want to close out just a reminder. uh, If you want to be part of this event on Tuesday when when Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers comes out, and I hope you are from 7 to 8.30 um, uh, Eastern Time, uh, go to briankilmeade.com. Just click on events. You can see here. You can sign up. You get a book. I'll have a chance to interact with you. It's like a giant Zoom thing. Normally, when a paperback comes out of the hardback, especially I'm traveling around, going to different cities, I think would be interested in the book like Oklahoma. We went to Tulsa and Oklahoma City, Wichita Falls in Texas, uh, Dallas, Houston, Woodlands, um, uh, San Antonio, obviously, to watch the San Jose Alamo Avengers. But if you actually uh, want to interact and talk and ask questions and see what the book's about and what the new material is, on Tuesday, May 12th, just sign up now. Uh, and this way I'll have a chance to see you face-to-face. We can interact directly. It's a virtual book tour, kind of, or a virtual event, pretty much. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.